0: You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team every day. Available on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, Stitcher, Alexa, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nolajake on Twitter, here with you all on this Wednesday middle of the week. And we are going to have a couple podcasts this week here on Locked On Pels. I'm kind of back from my mini break I took, needed about two to three weeks just to kind of refresh, regroup, chill out a little bit. And now we got a lot to talk about too because the Pelicans are coming up on free agency and that means they've got to make a decision about DeMarcus Cousins. So in the third segment, I'm going to give you guys an update on what is going on there. How real is that interest from Dallas? I wouldn't throw all, all that stock into it entirely and I'll explain why. Also, we got the NBA draft coming up in about two weeks or so, and that means the Pelicans, what are they going to do? They sit late in the second round. I think it's 51st overall. Are they going to trade up to maybe get someone at the top of the second? I don't think so. And I'm going to tell you guys why. And then, of course, there was some news as former Hornets and Pelicans head coach, Monty Williams, sounds like he's going to be accepting a deal with the 76ers. That is a great move on so many levels. And, of course, the theme here, I'm going to tell you guys why that is in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So let's start with former Hornets and Pelicans head coach Monty Williams sounding like he's going to be accepting a job with Brett Brown and his staff over in Philadelphia with the 76ers. And this is a great move. One, it's nice to see Monty kind of going to take another coaching job where he'll be traveling more and doing all of that because that's got to mean that he's got everything in place with his family after the tragic death of his wife Ingrid where he took that job in San Antonio to have some stability to work in the front office deal with all of that but at his true core he is a coach but he has those kids and you've got to kind of keep that in mind that maybe they needed some stability him to be around more often in the wake of of that unfortunate circumstance. So it's nice to see that if he's going to be traveling with the team, going to go on the road more and be okay moving to Philadelphia, that just his personal life, his family life is in a very stable spot. Not that we never thought he would get there, and I think if you saw the speech he gave at Ingrid's funeral and everything, you know he was going to kind of navigate his family through his faith in the best way possible and get him to be in a spot where they were okay. So I think the biggest thing from that alone right there is, yes, this means that they are all doing well. And I think that's a very nice thing to hear because I think Monty Williams in hindsight, and you know, as we've all gotten older and matured, maybe, has has seemed more of a sympathetic figure to Pelicans' uh, fans. And maybe that, yeah, we had it pretty good while he was here. And maybe at the time it wasn't the right move to fire him, even though I think most people thought at the time that it really was and now maybe with the Pelicans back in the playoffs, you don't think so, but who, it's besides the point. But I think, again, as we've mellowed out a little bit and moved further and further down the line from that coaching firing, coaching change, we feel much better that, yeah, things were really good and his run here was overall maybe above average, let's call it. So him going to the 76ers is good for a number of reasons. One, they've got that whole situation with Colangelo still going on, and as I'm recording this, which is you know, early-ish evening, it's around 7.30 here in New Orleans, and it, they haven't fired Calangelo yet, but supposedly they've interviewed him and his wife for hours and separately, so you have to figure a resolution is coming soon from this, and I mean, I just don't see a way Colangelo doesn't get fired, but that's not what we're talking about here. I think it shows, you know, if you were an agent and you had a draft prospect, do you want him working out for this team right now? If he has a bad workout, uh, loose lips kind of idea, you don't want that getting out and maybe hurting his draft stock. So you might not want him to work out for this team if you're the agent of an NBA player and you've seen that they can kind of trash their own players. Maybe you don't want your client to sign there because it can hurt his reputation again throughout the league. And if this is how they treat guys and throw them under the bus like that, nothing good can come of that. But supposedly, according to Woj, Brett Brown has been kind of the steadying force. He's well-respected around the league. People feel comfortable with him being there, that it's not coming from him, and maybe they can get some business done that way. So adding another well-respected, steadying force to the coaching staff, and I don't think this was just done in reaction to the Colangelo news. I think this was probably in the works for a while, though. I think that is a good Look, you've got to look at Brett Brown and Monty Williams, and those guys can sell things to free agents. There's other issues with Monty and free agents and stuff for another day. But overall, I think it shows you've got kind of a, a steadying hand that's still guiding some side of your franchise. So overall, I like this move just for that alone if you're the 76ers because probably by the time you guys listen to this on Wednesday morning or whenever it is, it very well may be that Colangelo has been fired by the 76ers. Make sure you bookmark LockedOnPelicans.com. We are going to be throwing the fire soon, starting with the NBA draft and coverage of second-round prospects and what the Pelicans might be doing. We're going to have everyone that needs to be on your radar broken down, telling you who to keep an eye on and who the Pelicans might target in the second round. Then we're going to follow that up with free agency coverage like you haven't seen yet. We're excited. We've all kind of taken a break, refreshed a little bit, and are ready to do it big. Isn't that the hashtag? That is the hashtag. Do it bigger for this free agency period. So make sure you bookmark and check daily LockedOnPelicans.com. So when you're listening to this, the draft is going to be something like 15 days away and the Pelicans have the 51st overall pick in the draft out of 60. So not exactly the highest selection here. So that's going to be coming on up and what does it mean 51 overall isn't really going to do much for you and in the past two years we've seen the pelicans trade up to select a guy they really like first in check diallo and then in frank jackson at the top of the second round last year they're going to do the same thing we've got what what do they say twice is a coincidence three times is a trend something like that are they going to make it a third time and make this a trend of trading up in the second round for guys that they like so first If you look at—so I say no, let's say that. I don't think that they're going to end up trading up, and I think they're going to end up just selecting right around 51. Maybe they move a little bit up, but not significantly enough to really say, oh, my God, they made a move. I think that's kind of what you're going to end up seeing, if anything. But I think overall the Pelicans are just going to take a guy at 51, and that's going to be that. So— The reasons I say that are are a couple here. First is when you look at the past two trade-ups they've done, the Pelicans had two second-round picks. They didn't really have two roster spots to hold those second-round picks on, so they traded up to consolidate two for one, maybe get a bit of a better guy than you would have gotten. The first, again, being Cech Diallo, and then Frank Jackson. Jackson, who would have likely gone in the first round, he was a... Uh, Freshman, You don't often see freshmen in the second round if it wasn't for the injury and the fact that he had kind of a down year at Duke and maybe needed another year to play, but then there was a guy who was going to basically push him out. So overall, it just meant he needed to leave and the Pelicans traded up to draft him on talent alone. And he was a project. We knew coming in, even if he was healthy all year, that he was going to be a project. They were going to do what they did with like they did with Czech Diallo in Diallo's first year here where he spent the majority of his time in the D League before then kind of sticking around the parent club in the second season, but not really getting that much playing time. Would have been the plan. Now we're doing that next year. So you have that. It, the same thing with Diallo. These were two guys that were projects. That's the key word here. Both players were projects and, and expected to take a while to develop by the Pelicans. And then if it works out, great, because their upside definitely is there. You know, I don't know if they still have room for another project player. You've seen that it takes a lot of guys to get through an NBA season when it comes to injuries and other things like that. Can you uh, you know, afford to have three projects on your team that really aren't going to contribute? And I don't necessarily think that Diallo is ready to contribute next year and to be a, a solid rotation big. He'll get chances, yes, but we haven't exactly. you know, What we've seen from him has looked nice at times, but it hasn't looked consistently good throughout his time on the court. So to me, he's still a project. Jackson's going to be playing in the D League. Can you have another roster spot? that's not set for a two-way contract kind of guy and he's going to count against your roster slots to have a third project? I'd say the answer is no. I think maybe you get a guy in the second round, maybe he makes the team, maybe he doesn't, or then you just send him down in the D-League, but you don't want to give up another asset just to trade for another project-type player, a future second-round pick or something like that, because it's going to take assets to move up, assets that this Pelicans team just doesn't have. So I don't think they're going to move up for that reason. It's really those two. They don't have that second, the extra second round pick to trade up. I have botched this horribly here, I realized. So basically they don't have two second round picks to trade up and they're not going to give up another asset. And yes, they can trade cash for it, but this team's projected to be very close to the luxury tax. Maybe saving the 3 million would actually be a smart move for the team. And they've usually only traded cash in deals where they're offloading salary too, that then won't count against the salary cap. So you kind of save some money too there. This just doesn't add up to be the situation where the Pelicans are going to trade up for another project or trade another asset away to move up and then maybe select a guy that can contribute a little bit sooner. But overall, you know, second round picks, you're not expecting them to contribute right away. Normally. Normally. So that's kind of what you've got unless there's someone you absolutely have to have and you think he's going to be a rotation player for you next year. Leave it alone. I don't expect the Pelicans to trade up at all in this situation. Don't forget to subscribe and listen to Locked On NBA Daily, Monday through Friday with a different rotating cast of hosts. I'm on there every Wednesday breaking down these NBA finals, talking about the biggest stories in the NBA, and we've got mock draft coverage coming soon for you, free agency coming soon, all of the biggest stories being covered there, and a quick podcast that just catches you up around the league. Make sure you know what's going on around the NBA by listening to Locked On NBA Daily. All right, we're at what you all want to know and what's going to be the biggest story around the Pelicans for the next month or so, and that is DeMarcus Cousins. And now the the kind of interest from the Mavericks that have been making the rounds... Uh, around different places. And you guys know who've been listening constantly. I've been saying Dallas is a threat for Cousins for most of the year now. We And, you know, that's partially informed, partially just, you know, you kind of look at the circumstances of everything. They have cap space. They want to compete right away. Mark Cuban isn't exactly the most patient guy, but he's not dumb either, and that's something to keep in mind. He also tends to like centers, I guess. So you kind of see that what they want to do, and it just kind of makes sense that they would go after a guy like DeMarcus Cousins. But I'm here to tell you all right now that I don't think it's as pronounced as a lot of other people are saying. Yes, they do have interest, 100%, and they're going to be a team that will be in the mix for Cousins. But I don't think they're going to be one right away, which maybe gives the Pelicans an advantage if Dallas is making moves for guys like Julius Randle. I've said Aaron Gordon for a little while with them if if the Magic really don't want to bring him back and maybe Dallas can sign him for a little bit cheaper. So I think those are the guys that maybe make a little bit more sense. A lot of people are pointing to Dallas. And saying, well, Cuban likes the centers and all that. Yeah, but he also realizes how the NBA is going and realizes you don't necessarily just win behind a big bulking center like DeMarcus Cousins is. You've got Dennis Smith Jr., which is going to be the future of your team and your main scoring option. And do you want someone who's going to take the ball out of his hands more? Probably not. And I think Cuban knows this, and he knows he doesn't want to commit and kill his salary cap by making bad moves and signings just for the sake of making them. When they signed Chandler Parsons, wasn't the worst move at the time. So it, it, that's kind of what we're looking at here. And so, based off of that, I'd say, yeah, they'll they'll be interested in him. If they can get him cheap early on, they'll certainly make a move to try and do that. But if he's angling for a longer-term deal, it might come later down the line with Dallas. I don't think you're going to see them make a big, grand move for him on opening night. But they will, and they do, have interest in Cousins. I also want to point out that a lot of people are using the example of Wes Matthews as why the the Mavericks might not be scared of the DeMarcus Cousins' injury. I'm going to say that's bad logic here. So we know Wes Matthews, was making like $24 million on a player option that he picked up this year. And no, 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 the Dallas Mavericks did not want him to pick up that player option. He is not tradable at $24 million. He is a decent player, and he rebounded from that injury as well as almost anyone could, which still put him at like 85% of the player he was before at best. You don't want to give a guy 30 plus million dollars to be 85% of what he was before. You want to give him thirty million dollars to be one hundred percent of what he was before. And that's why you give thirty million plus dollars to guys that don't come off these type of injuries. Wes Matthews there, make no mistake. They wanted to move him and didn't want him there for the amount of money. I don't think that shows that they're going to make that kind of mistake again or that kind of same signing again. They want to get out from under that contract. They don't want to add another one like that to the books. Not when you've got Dennis Smith Jr. on that cheap rookie deal and coming into his prime and maybe you can add the right pieces around him and all of a sudden you're a contender that's young and doesn't have a ton of money on the books. You have flexibility then to get a better guy down the road that's not going to be 80 to 85% of the player he was before for that same amount of money. So pointing out that Wes Matthews was signed by Dallas, so maybe they'll take the same chance with DeMarcus Cousins. They're not happy they have Wes Matthews. I sound like a goddamn guy on ESPN or something doing the hot take voice and everything here, but that's the truth. So I don't like looking at that as kind of the example of why, or or evidence, why they might make a run at DeMarcus Cousins. If anything, that's going to scare them off. He's such a good player, you've got to kick the tires on him, maybe. But you don't go, you know, all out to re-sign him, or re-sign him, to sign him right away. So this might mean, though, that DeMarcus Cousins is willing to wait out the Pelicans, wait out the Mavs, while they do try and figure out, and then maybe no one signs there. So they make a run at him, and he gets the kind of money he wants because... Cuban got impatient, something like that. But he's a smart dude. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Again, they have interest. I don't think it's this burning hot love flame they have for him that they're going to go out and make a move the opening night and throw a max deal at four years for him. But yeah, they'll talk to him. And then him and his people will use that to leverage the Pelicans into a greater contract, potentially. So that's going to be it. One thing I can say with this is Del Demps has almost lost his job because of that Omer Asik contract. Mickey Loomis did not like that whatsoever and how that kind of was an albatross around this team's neck for a number of years on the opening night of free agency where they negotiated against themselves. Del Demps knows that almost cost him his job. I don't know if he's going to make that same mistake again, though... He does have a history of negotiating against himself. So I'm sure we'll learn more about all of that though as we get closer and closer to free agency, which is going to be starting on July 1, midnight of whatever you know, the day before that, 30th or 31st. I'm not singing the song in my head. So we know that's gonna be coming soon, and more and more will come out of this. But remember, a lot of the stuff you're gonna hear is smoke screens, people putting things out there to try and generate some leverage and negotiate through the press. And as always, I will give you guys what I know and what's going on with that here on Locked on Pelicans so that's going to do it for this edition of locked on pelicans got some more for you guys tomorrow where it's going to be a lot of fun we'll start looking at the second round talking prospects different things like that and we will have a great time as we gear you up for the draft and free agency in the weeks and days to come so stick with it we're back to go and say three days a week though the schedule is still going to be spotty so make sure you subscribe to locked on pelicans so you just know when a podcast comes out As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nolajake on Twitter. I'll be back with you all next time.